Amy, thank you so much for reading so well. It does make such a difference, doesn't it, when God's words read passionately. So thank you so much for, for reading that for us. It's wonderful. Um, please keep your, your passages open. That's uh, page 1173. Um, do you have that open? You might also find helpful this um, mint sheet. It's mint, I'm reliably told. Um, open in front of you. That'll just give you an idea of where we're going. As Jonathan said, we're, we've begun last week a series looking at the practical effect the Trinity should have in our thinking and in our, in our belief. And uh, today we think about God's glory, the trine God of glory. And uh, I think the most useful thing for us is probably if I pray that uh, we listen and that God speak through what I say. So let's, let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we praise you that you promise to speak to us through your word as we hear it preached. And we ask that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to obey as your spirit speaks to us now. Help me to teach this passage clearly and faithfully. Help us all to remain attentive. And uh, we ask more than that, Lord, that you would give us a greater view of yourself and a lower view of ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Children's birthday parties are a dangerous thing. I've learned this. I've, I've ten nephews and nieces, and uh, I've now learned to politely decline the various invitations which come my way to uh, the, the birthday parties. Don't think me callous. They, they're, a danger, they're a dangerous thing. They really are. You see, when you put the potent ingredients together of children in a small room with lots of excitement, and then you give them sugar, it's just, it's just a powder keg waiting to explode. And the thing which usually sort of ignites the whole thing is when the presents come out. And all these sugar adult children have to watch this one birthday boy open present after present after present. And, and, and it's just too much to bear, isn't it? And maybe you can stretch back the birthday parties you've been to when you were little. I remember one when I was six. It was Mark Besky's birthday party. And there I was, uh, seeing him open present after present and it was just too much for me. And so afterwards, my mum caught me trying to sort of swipe a few gifts of my own uh, off, off the birthday, you know, trying to hot, sort of smuggle them into the car. And she, she sat me down and she said, Andrew, that's what I'm called when I'm in trouble um, with Hannah or, or my mum. Uh, Andrew, it is not your birthday party. It's not all about you. And I think that's a, that's a powerful lesson for a six-year-old Andy to learn, but it also is a good lesson for all of us as Christians to keep learning. So I reckon there's a tendency in each of us to slowly and subtly make the Christian faith about us. It's all about how God wants to save me, how God wants to protect me, satisfy me and my desires, take me to heaven. It's all about me. And I think this, this self-centered version of Christianity, which of course there's lots of elements of truth in it, I think it's actually quite dangerous. Because if it's all about me, and I'm not actually enjoying the Christian faith that much at the moment, then I'm going to begin to question whether there's some sort of defect in my salvation. So when when suffering comes along, we wonder, what's God playing at? I I thought I was meant to be happy, healthy. When um, we find serving one another hard, maybe, maybe you found that in recent months, you've been doing something here at church and it goes unnoticed or it goes unappreciated or people are overcritical and you're thinking, well, why do I bother? Why do I bother? Or maybe you're at work and your faith is being mocked by your colleagues and you're just tempted to keep quiet because you want to keep your own reputation 
I think behind all that is this idea that deep down Christianity is really about me and me being happy and safe and secure and satisfied. My concern is if, as long as we think God's plan of salvation is primarily about us, our shelf life as Christians will not be very long at all. So I've been praying that this passage in Ephesians is used by God to liberate us from this egocentric view of Christianity, this self-centered view, because we're going to learn that God's chief aim is not to make us happy or healthy or wealthy or blessed, but to bring him glory and honor and praise him, the triune God. And the irony is, this is ironic, the irony is the more we realize that it is not our birthday party, the more our joy, the greater our assurance, and the greater our zeal in our service. That's where we're going. If you've uh, closed your Bibles, open them up again to Ephesians chapter 1. You might know this, this passage, verse 3 all the way to verse 14, is just one long sentence in the original. So if you imagine the Apostle Paul, he takes a big breath, and in one big breath, he rattles off blessing off the blessing off the blessing that Christians can enjoy. And this is, this is uh, what we're going to look at tonight. I think there are three things, three things for us to notice. And if you're following on your handout or taking notes, the first one's this. We need to see the praise due to the Father. You might have come across the phrase, you've missed the forest because of the trees. Have you come across that phrase, that, that proverb? You've missed the, you missed the wood, the forest, because of the trees. Here's a passage where we could really easily do that. So I was saying this morning, at the last time I taught this passage, I focused so much on all the individual blessings that we can enjoy, but I think I missed Paul's main aim. I think I mistaught the passage. Well, what is the big aim? Well, look down to verse 3 in your Bibles. Verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Did you notice each person of the Trinity is in this verse? Praise the Father, because he's blessed us with every blessing in the Spirit through the Son. That's Paul's big aim. He wants us to praise God. But as you read on in this passage, we're going to see it's a little bit strange. Not only does Paul want us to praise God, God wants us to praise God. So glance on to verse 6 and ask yourself, why did the Father choose us? And the answer in verse 6 is to the praise of his glorious grace. And then skip on to verse 12. At the end of verse 12, ask, why did the Son save us? The answer in verse 12 is that we might be to the praise of his glory. And then skip on again, if you would. Verse 14, ask, why did the Spirit seal us? The answer comes back at the end, to the praise of his glory. Do you see that repeated drumbeat repeated throughout the passage? I completely missed it last time I taught this. God's motive in choosing us saving us and assuring us is not primarily that we might be chosen, saved and assured. The big reason is that he might get the praise and the glory. Now chew on that thought for a moment. How how does that sit with you? That idea that God is seeking his own glory 
On first hearing, it might sound as if God is slightly self-absorbed, a bit like one of those actors who's sort of craving applause of the audience. He gives, he gives his best performance, and, and he's waiting for the audience to go, oh, bravo, bravo. Is God like that? Or is he like one of those millionaires who, who likes to give really public gifts, um, enormous, enormous amounts to these charities, just so he can be on the front page of the newspaper? Is God like that? It would be easy to think that, wouldn't it? it just a, a cursory glance. Very easy to think that. If our view of God was of him being a simple, single, monadic unit. But our God is not that single, solitary unit. If we wait for the phone to go off. Our God is not that unit. Our God is triune, isn't he? He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So, just, just cling with me on this thought. By virtue of God's triune nature, he is the only one who can selflessly glorify himself. Do you get that? He is the only one who can selflessly glorify himself. So imagine from eternity past, we had that verse earlier from John 17. Jesus prays, Father, glorify your son so your son might glorify you. From eternity past, the three persons of the Trinity have been seeking the glory of the others. They never seek the glory of their own person. They seek the glory of the others. Father, glorify your son so your son might glorify you. That's the big aim in this letter here. God is intent in glorifying himself, the triune God. There was a very amusing letter in the newspaper last week. I don't know if you saw it. I think it was in the Daily Telegraph, but someone posted it on Facebook, so I came across it. And the letter said this, a guy writing in, Dear Sir, I was assisting my 16-year-old daughter with her homework last week when she received a text message from her mother. It read this, What do you want from life? Now, this was an unexpectedly profound question to ask an exam-sitting teenager. So my daughter and I, looking over her homework, debated the various answers. Wealth, fulfillment, love, all three. And then a couple of minutes later, my daughter received a second text. Um, It was her mother again, blaming predictive text, that she should have typed, what do you want from Lidl? See, great thinkers since the dawn of our ages have been asking this question, what is the meaning of life? And if we were to go home later, ask our friends or in our office tomorrow, ask our colleagues, they'd all come back with different answers, wouldn't they? Um, Some of our friends would just say, the meaning of life is this, you're an organism, you're here to pass on your DNA, you're here to have children. That's the sort of the naturalist worldview. Um, Other of of our friends would say, you're just here to enjoy yourself, eat, drink and be merry. That's, That's the hedonist worldview. Others of our friends, they would say, well, you're an individual. You have faith, I don't have faith. We each have our own different meaning. We each need to discover our own different meaning. That's the humanist worldview. And then if you read Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the answer to the life of meaning and everything is the, is the number 42. Less helpful. So on the surface, some of those um, philosophies, not Hitchhiker's Guide, clearly none of you read that book because there would have been a bigger laugh. But no. <laughs> Fail. Uh, on the surface... On the surface, some of those philosophies, they seem so liberating, don't they? They seem so freeing. But the irony is that each of them are actually a cage. Because each of them place the quest for meaning and purpose squarely back on your shoulders. 
you need to find someone to love you in order to propagate your DNA. Uh, You need to have more holidays and more fun and you need to do more things which you enjoy otherwise you're failing your meaning of life. Uh, You need more space. You need to to go find yourself to discover what you really want from life. It's not a surprise, is it, that we find our society riddled with anxiety and worries and radical uncertainty because we've placed the meaning of life off God and onto me, onto you. I think the Apostle Paul offers us a far more satisfying and liberating answer. Look at verse 3 again in your Bibles. Verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Friends, the reason you were born, according to the Bible, the reason you are saved, if you're a Christian here today, the reason you exist is so that you might praise your triune creator, God. You're here to honour him. And you're there in all eternity to honour him, to the praise of his glorious grace. So apologies if I'm sounding like a broken record, but friends, it is not your birthday party. You're not the birthday boy or the birthday girl. The praise is due to the Father. The praise is due to God. Here's our first point, but here's our second on your sheets. The blessings of being in the sun. Let me take you back again to Mark Besky's birthday party. I was age six. His mother had organised the day for him, right? She had uh, prepared the day so all the attention would be on him. She She had come up with all the presents and asked everyone to bring presents so that they'll be for him my mum was right it was not my birthday party but I still got to join in and playing all the games I got to play pin the tail on the donkey do you remember that one I still got to take home a party bag I still got to eat the birthday cake I got to be involved in all of those things even though I wasn't the birthday boy because all those blessings that were marks overflowed to me even though I was undeserving. This is kind of what Paul means throughout this section when he, when he speaks of our blessings being in Christ. You notice that phrase, in Christ or in him or in the beloved one. It's repeated again and again and again. He's saying that all these blessings we enjoy, they're only ours because they were first Jesus's. So Paul, in in this section, he takes us on a journey through time, from eternity past all the way through the present to eternity future. And you'll see on our handouts, we begin in verse 4 with our election and adoption in the past. Follow with me, if you would, verse 4 in your Bibles. If you've uh, closed them, open them up again and look at verse 4. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Christ Jesus, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which is freely given us in the one he loves. Did you see that? The blessings are only ours because they were first his. In verse 4, before the creation of the world, we were chosen in him. We are predestined to belong to him. That's only possible because he is the chosen one. In verse, uh, later on in that verse, it was decided that in him we would be made holy and blameless. 
Well, that's only possible because Jesus is the holy and blameless one. And we're in him. In verse 5, we learn that he is the eternal son of God. And yet it is through him that we've been adopted into the father's family as sons. We're sons regardless of whether we're men or women. Sons is that the idea of being an inheritor. We're full inheritors regardless of our gender. And then in verse 6, Jesus is the one the Father loves. And yet by his glorious grace, God looks at us and he says, I love you because we're in him. Do you see, all the blessings, they're his, but they overflow to us. Now I hope that seeing this passage in that light, it, it might remove some of the controversies surrounding predestination. It's uh, the doctrine that, that um, God chose us before the beginning of time to be his. I know it's, it's unsettling to some Christians. Well, I hope you see, to begin with, that, that it is biblical. It is here. We, we can't get around it. Here it is. But I don't want it just to be a doctrine which is, we, we sort of technically believe in but don't really like. We should love this truth. Paul writes at the end of verse 4, the very end, he writes, In love... God predestined us. So friends, don't be embarrassed by this truth. Cherish it. Cling to it. We made a real decision to choose God, but we only did that because in eternity past, he chose us. It's a wonderful truth. But why? Why did he do it? Well, verse 6 makes it clear. Look at verse 6 again. To the praise of his glorious grace. It is all for his glory, the trying God. We now move on to the present in verse 7. He uh, takes us on to look at our redemption and forgiveness in the present. So look with me to verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. I don't know if you've seen them. Um, that film, it came out was it a couple of years ago, 12 Years a Slave. Have you seen that one? It's quite harrowing. It's a difficult, it's a difficult one to watch if you've seen it. It's about the, uh, the, I guess, the American slave trade. It's, it's a true story based on the memoirs of a man called Solomon Northup, who was kidnapped in the north, and uh, for 12 years in the south, he served on a, as a slave on, on a plantation. And uh, it's, it's a brutal story. And it, I think the film, it, success, it successfully captures the injustice of slavery, the inhumanity of it, the brutality of it. You remember there's one scene where Solomon, I think he stands up for another slave or something like that. And so the owners, they hang him up, they hang him up by his neck to this lynching tree, is what they called it. So he's hanging by his neck on this rope, but he's, he's, given, he's given the ground, his very tiptoes are on it. He's only just able to breathe. And if they're in the heat of the day, for the entire day, he's choking and he's gasping, hanging on this lynching tree as the whole plantation looks on. This word redemption, there in verse 7, it's a slavery word. And it's kind of what you're longing for when you watch that film. Redemption. And in fact, if you've read the Bible and you know the story of the Bible, it's, it's really what you're longing for if you, if you know our natural state before God. The Bible explains how we are by nature, each of us, slaves. It's not a very flattering picture, but we're described as slaves to uh, the evil one. Not, not to human captors like the Israelites or Solomon Northup, but, but slaves to Satan. 
because we believe his lies. We're, we're bound by the shackles of our sin. We're, we're heading for death. We're slaves by nature, the Bible says. But for those who believe in Christ, that, that, isn't, that isn't the end. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. It's incredible. The son of God, the eternal son of God, took the form of a slave and he went willingly to the lynching tree. And there on the cross, he choked and he gasped for you and me. His blood was the price necessary to free us from these invisible chains which bind us. One of the things I'm hoping to do this coming year is to officiate at someone's wedding. It's one of the sort of the, the jobs I'm able to do. And um, you know, I know that when, when a couple exchange their wedding rings, they make a particular vow. They, they say this. If you've been to a wedding, you'll know it. They say, I give you this ring as a sign of our marriage. With my body, I honour you. All that I am, I give to you. All that I have, I share with you. Within the love of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So when Hannah and I said those words, was it five, five years ago? Five, five years ago. Uh, when we became united, I got her. I got all of her, including her student debt, which was quite sizable. <laughs> but she got, she got me, and she got all of me, including my rather embarrassingly large board game collection. So it works, two, it works two ways, doesn't it? Well, later in this letter in Ephesians, Paul compares the unity of... Uh, uh, Paul compares uh, Christ's love for the church as being like a marriage. He got all of our sin. And we were lavished with all of the grace that was his. All that I am, I give to you, he says. All that I am, all that I have, I share with you. It's wonderful. Well, we've seen the past, we've seen the present, and now for the blessings of the future. Look at verse 9. Verse 9, the revelation of the Father's plan for the future. And he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. Put very, very simply, the Father's plan for the future is to bring glory to his Son. So that in the end, all this messed up, disordered creation which we we live in, is all going to be brought perfectly under his rule. Heaven and earth will be restored and united in in him. More than that, in the end, all of God's redeemed people, whether we're Jew or Gentile, whether we're British or or Asian or African, wherever we're from, will all be united under his one rule. More than that, even those who oppose his kingdom, even those spirits who oppose Christ, even those people who oppose his rule, even those who will face his wrath for all eternity, even they will come to acknowledge Jesus' glory. The Father is determined to glorify the Son. Now I appreciate there are very few things that are more irritating than when people reveal the endings of things. People often do it here. They bounce up to me and say, I've seen Age of Ultron or whatever the film might be and then they blow the story for me and blow it out of the wall. Usually the polite thing to do is on Facebook, if you've seen a film or you read a book and you're going to talk about it, you put at the top, what do you put at the top? 
Spoiler alert. You do that, don't you? That's the polite thing to do. No one was nodding, so clearly none of you have been raised in the sort of modern day etiquette. <laughs> Dan's nodding. He knows what I'm talking about. Spoiler alert. Well, as Paul peels back the future for us, as he uh, reveals the ending, he doesn't consider it a spoiler. He considers it a helper. Because we can live now knowing what certainly will be in the future. So if you knew today, for example, that, that who would win the World Cup, the Football World Cup, you'd be a fool not to put all your money on that team, wouldn't you? If you knew who would win the Grand National, you'd be a fool not to put all your money on that horse. Well, if you knew who would receive all glory in eternity future... Well, you'd be a fool to seek your own glory now, here in the present. You'd be a fool to consider being a Christian merely a marriage of convenience, a means to get all the little goodies of salvation. Someone wisely wrote, the purpose of our union with Christ is to enjoy communion with him. Verse 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, in the end, friends, Jesus wins. The Father will glorify the Son. It is his birthday party. But we get to eat the cake. Now, you might be wondering, what about the Spirit? We focused on the Father and the Son. Finally, let's look at the Spirit here, the final points on our, on our handouts, the assurance of being sealed with the Spirit. I think these verses, before I read them, they probably won't make much sense until I explain what's going on in the letter. You see, there's a bit of a problem in the church. If I can sort of imaginary divide you into half here. Let's imagine you guys are the Jewish Christians. To you belongs the, the covenants, the scriptures, all the promises of God. They're all yours. But you guys, you're the Gentile, non-Jewish Christians, okay? And you're feeling a little bit insecure because you're kind of the new kids on the block. And you don't know quite how you fit into God's plan of salvation and you're slightly feeling insecure. Well, in this passage, in, in these uh, next few verses, Paul speaks of we, speaking about the Jewish Christians, and you, speaking about the Gentile Christians. And uh, Paul tackles this problem, this division in the church, by talking about the Holy Spirit. Well, let's look at verse 11, with that we and you thing in mind. Verse 11. In him, we, that's the Jews, were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, the Jews, might be for the praise of his glory. Now imagine we're the Ephesian church, and we just heard this letter read out for the first time. Imagine the people on this side of the room are sort of cheering and whooping, they're delighted, and they're feeling very happy, they're going, yes, awesome, We've been predestined uh, to give glory to the Son for all eternity. Excellent. And you guys are all very happy. But at this point, you guys are all feeling slightly, well, hang on, what about us? Where's, where's our part in God's plan to glorify the Son? Well, look, at, look down to verse 13. As Paul continues. And you, that's the Gentiles, also were included in Christ when he heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise 
of his glory. I don't know what you think about tattoos. Maybe you have a, a tattoo on you. Maybe you're sort of raised in one of those families where tattoos you, some sort of no-go area. And my, one of my sisters has a tattoo, and when, when she declared that to my family, all hell broke loose because we have sort of fairly conservative background. Well, it might surprise you to learn that if you're a Christian here tonight, you have a tattoo. There in verse 13, Paul says, we are marked with a seal, literally a tattoo. So you know if you have a tattoo here that they're permanent, they, they last forever. And if you have someone's name written down, it marks ownership, doesn't it? So if I had Hannah's tattoo, Hannah's name blazing across my chest, you know that I, I belong to her. I'll show you that later if you like. <laughs> it, it signifies ownership, doesn't it? Well, that's the idea here. The spirit is a, is a permanent marker, a tattoo, showing that we belong to God. And and we receive this gift, whether we're Jews or Gentiles, as soon as we put our trust in Jesus. But Paul, in verse 14, gives us a second illustration about what the Spirit's like. He he compares them to a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Now, this is probably a sore topic for many of us here tonight, because we can't raise enough money for a deposit to buy our house. Maybe that's you. It's quite characteristic of our generation, isn't it, where we, we... we're struggling to raise this, what is it, 5% or whatever the house is worth or flat is worth in order, to, in order to buy the thing. Well, if you're buying a house, you've got to make a deposit. It shows you're committed to getting the whole thing. But if someone came up to you tonight and said, I'm going to pay your deposit for you, you'd be pretty chuffed, wouldn't you? However much that would be. Well, here the spirit is described as a deposit, a down payment paid by the father to us. And it reveals his commitment to one day give us the whole thing. To, to, to give us in the entirety of our inheritance and blessing in the heavenly places. So whether we're Jews or, or Gentiles, where, if we're Christians, we're going to enjoy every blessing of God's people. There's no second class citizens in God's kingdom. But we come back to this question of why. Why? Why did God pull out his tattoo pen and, and, and mark us? With the Holy Spirit. Why did God pay such a costly down payment by giving Himself, His own Spirit, to us? Why? And the answer is there, right at the end of verse 14 to the praise of His glory. My time's nearly done. And I said at the beginning that my prayer for us is that we are liberated from this self centered view of the Christian faith. I don't know if, uh, if this has helped to, to do just that. But I imagine one of, one of the issues why we are so inward-looking is because our concerns, many of which are alive in our, in our lives at the moment, that they draw us to look inwards, don't they? Which means we're constantly looking inwards for resources and help and, 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 and security. But our Father would have us look primarily for his glory and trust him for the rest of that. I loved our prayers earlier. Hattie began with praise. And really, that, that, is, that is the reason we exist. To praise God. Praise him for all these blessings that he's poured out on us. Past, present, future. We really should count our blessings. At the end of sermons, you also often want very practical, tangible applications, don't we? But Paul just gives us one. He says, it's not about you. It's about the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. To whom belongs all praise and glory and honour. 
So let's try and set out this week to, to reshift our orientation in our lives away from ourselves and towards him. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father in heaven, we praise you that it is not all about us, but it is all about you and your glory. Help us, Father, to see how much you are worth, to see your value, and to give you what you, des- what you desire and, and what you are worth. Help us to count our blessings. Father, we praise you for all you've done for us in eternity past, all the way through to eternity future. And help, help give us assurance of your love for us by looking at these things. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.